Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. I was, uh, I was reading something the other week. I ran across this really interesting news story. Maybe, maybe some of y'all ran across it too. Uh, it was this, this article about this, this, this art museum, this gallery over in Germany. And according to this article, there is this, this, this painting that they have that this art gallery has had this painting hanging upside down for like nearly 20, or excuse me, for nearly 75 years. Um, like I said, maybe some of y'all, y'all read this. Uh, the, the article said that it's this, this museum, this art gallery in Dusseldorf. And they've had one of their paintings, one of their masterpieces, one of their multi-million dollar masterpieces by, I think it's Mondrian. I didn't do well in, I'm looking at the orchestra because it seems to me that y'all would know if it's Mondrian. Is that how you say his name? No one's sure? Okay, yeah, we're just going to go with it. Um, I didn't do great in art history in college, uh, but Mondrian, um, uh, they have this piece by Mondrian and it is hanging, ever since they got it, it's been hanging upside down. Here's a picture of it. like I said, I didn't do great in art history. I don't know how on earth you would tell if this thing was upside down, in fact, but I guess they had some experts and they found a picture of actually this work hanging in Mondrian's studio, take it just a couple of days after his death. And in the, in the painting in Mondrian's studio, the way he had it hanging was with this kind of cluster of grid work down here at the bottom. In Mondrian's studio, it was actually all the way up at the very tip top. Like this painting is 180 degrees pointed the wrong direction. But here's the crazy thing. Here's the, the kicker, the thing that kind of got me thinking. Um, the people, the article said that the people at the museum, the curators at the gallery, said they're scared now. The curators are scared. They said that this painting has been hanging upside down for so many years now that they're afraid to write it. They're afraid to, to, to point it right side up now because they're afraid the whole thing will just fall apart on them. And it got me to thinking as we, as we enter into this week of family and friends and, and feasting, I wonder if the same thing might not be able to be said of us too. That we have, we've just kind of done the same old thing, the same old way for so long that, that here we are and we just, we've just kind of forgotten why we've forgotten why we do all those things that we do. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been saying. We've been saying that that's one of the greatest dangers of this time of year. It's one of the greatest dangers of us getting further and further away from the kids' table. It's the danger of us getting further and further away from the simplicity and the innocence of the kids' table that we just, that we'll just take this week. And we'll just take this life. And we'll take this faith and we just... We'll just go through the motions. We'll just, we'll just put it all on autopilot. Never really ever becoming aware that, that we've got it wrong side up. The fear is that we will just go through these days, we will go through this week mindlessly, thoughtlessly, never being aware that we've got it all upside down. Because there's something... There's something really special, there's something really sacred that happens around our tables. Now, I'm not just talking about the sharing of our food, and I'm not even talking about the sharing of our time. I'm talking, I'm talking about us sharing our stories, us sharing our hearts, us sharing our lives. 
Thanksgiving is one of those really rare moments in our year. It's one of those, those rare, maybe one of the, the, the fewest days that, that we can know, that we can absolutely know that, that we are not alone sitting around a table with others. And in fact, it's, it's always made me curious. I've always wondered why so many of the stories that we read in the New Testament, why so many of the stories we read in the Gospels, why do so many of them take place around a table? Jesus, Jesus eating with his friends. Jesus eating with his enemies. Jesus eating with, with sinners. Jesus inviting himself to, to wee little Zacchaeus' house. Jesus inviting himself over for a meal. Mary busy cooking while, while, while Mary, or Martha book cooking while Mary sits at Jesus' feet. Jesus at the Last Supper. See, none of, that, none of that's coincidental. None of that's, none of that's accidental. It's all on purpose. Something special happens around the table. Our walls, walls have a tendency to come down around the table. Life happens around our tables and, and in everything that leads up to them. I mean, this is, this, is, this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. And Thanksgiving is one of my favorite days of the year. I mean, I wake up and I turn on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but before it's over, our family packs up and we go over to Pastor John's house. And Pastor John, he fires up that old, that old, that, that turkey fryer and it's, it's amazing. Um, it's the smell of Thanksgiving. It's the sound of Thanksgiving, the whoosh, the, the roar of that jet engine of a burner. The sizzle of the grease. It is the, it's the absolute thrill. It is the purity of the joy, the impish joy on Pastor John's face as he's dancing around in his LSU apron, dancing around trying not to get, to, to get popped by, by, by the oil splashing out on him. See, it's the little things. It's the small things. It's the simple things. It's the things that we need to learn how to see so we can remember how to say Thanks. Because remember, Thanksgiving, at its heart, Thanksgiving is primarily a spiritual holiday. It is a holy day. And that's exactly what we're going to see in our scripture for this morning. And uh, so if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning. So open up your Bibles. If you have them, maybe you have a Bible app on a cell phone with you this morning. Go ahead and turn it on. Again, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 18. Um, so it's going to be kind of in the middle. It's going to be actually kind of directly in the middle of your Bible if you're looking for it. And as you're flipping there, um, I think it's interesting to note that this passage, the 118th Psalm that we're going to be reading part of this morning, um, this is actually one of the traditional readings for the Jewish festival of Sukkot. Um, it's the, one of the traditional readings for the, the Jewish festival of, of booths or tabernacles. It's the Jewish festival of ingathering. This is one of the, the traditional readings for what is essentially the Jewish equivalent of Thanksgiving. Um, and so let's be mindful of that as we read these words. Uh, again, Psalm chapter 118, picking up our reading this morning with, with verse 19. Um, friends, hear the word of the Lord. The psalmist says, open to me the gates of righteousness that, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord and the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, the psalmist says. It's this day. This is the day. It's not yesterday. It's not tomorrow. It's this day. This is the day the Lord has made. And the Lord made it for a purpose. The Lord made it for a reason, and the Lord gave it to us for a reason. It's, it's just ours to, to figure out why. And it's ours to, to figure out how, how to use it well. How to, how to use it right, how to enter through these, these gates of righteousness. It's ours to figure out how, how to live in such a way that, that we're doing the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason. It's just ours to figure out how to get our life pointed in, in the right direction. But how often do we get that flipped upside down somehow? Us thinking that we have to wait until everything is perfect or at least that everything is just okay before we give thanks. Friends, if we're doing that, if that's us this morning, we can be waiting a rather long wait. See, it's, it's the wondrous thing. That's the psalmist says. It's, it's, it's the marvelous thing. The marvelous thing, though, to give thanks It's a marvelous thing to give praise, even in the midst of hardship, especially in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our pain and confusion and uncertainty. Because it's there that that, that we remember that that gates actually serve two purposes. We know know that gates, yes, gates keep the bad stuff out, but gates also serve to, to keep the good stuff in. That's what worship does. That's what praise does. That's what Thanksgiving does. It, it reorients us. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul would put it this way. Paul wrote, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks always. Give thanks without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not just when it's easy. Not just whenever it's convenient, but, but always. And the only way for us to do that, the only way for, for us to, to find that sort of faith and that sort of trust and that sort of hope and that sort of courage, the only way for us to find that sort of gratitude, that gratitude that really makes a difference in our lives, that sort of gratitude that fights for us, the only way for us to find that is to build that. It's to build that sort of faith on the rock. It's to build it on the cornerstone. The cornerstone of Jesus Christ. To have him be the one. To have him be the rock upon which all of the rest of our life is built. Because you see, friends, getting that right. Getting that straight. Friend, that's, that's just the very first brushstroke in, in the masterpiece of our lives. God, thank you for that. And I think Todd and what Paul shared that scripture is so right that we need to learn to give thanks in all circumstances. But the way that we do that is I do think we have to reorient our lives from the normal ways that we look at things. And I believe Psalm 118 shows us how to do that, 
shows us how to give thanks in all circumstances. So let's look at three lessons that we can learn. We need to reorient our sight. Reorient our sight. In fact, I love verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. When we enter the gates of faith, we, we see things differently. We experience life differently. We notice things differently. And with that new vision, we give thanks in all circumstances of life. <clears throat> you remember about 15 years ago, the Washington Post <clears throat> did the most fascinating experiment. They secured a gentleman named Joshua Bell <clears throat> to ride on a subway. He got off the subway at the big station. People were busy. It was rush hour time. It was packed. He got off. He looked very ordinary like everybody else. He had on blue jeans, long sleeve t-shirt, a Washington Nationals cap, <clears throat> had a little case. And he went over and stood by the trash cans against the wall, opened his case, and took out a violin. And then he took some dollars and threw it in the case, kind of as some seed money, and he started to play. And boy, did he play a 45-minute concert, some of the most beautiful music ever written by Mozart and Bach and Chopin, some of the most complex violin pieces that you could ever imagine. And he played. And most of the people that walked by, and they estimated over a 1,000, completely ignored him. Didn't even notice that anything was going on. Because if they had noticed, they would notice that in their midst was one of the world's greatest violinists playing some of the most extraordinary, beautiful music ever written. And in fact, he was playing a Stradivarius violin estimated to be worth over $3 million. This amazing moment was going on. In fact, just a few nights before that, he had sold out a concert hall. The cheapest tickets went for hundreds of dollars, and yet nobody that day stopped. They just rushed by. And the post experiment was this. They were trying to wonder on an ordinary day and an ordinary moment at an inconvenient time in the midst of extraordinary beauty. Some of the greatest music ever written by one of the masters. Would people notice? 45 minutes he played. You know how many people stopped? 27 even stopped and listened for a bit. They threw in about $32 into the case. And so after the experiment, I love what the editors wrote of that moment. <clears throat> they captured their, what their findings like this. They said, if we can't take the time out of our lives to stay a moment and listen to one of the best musicians on earth play some of the best music ever written, <clears throat> if the surge of modern life so overpowers us that we are deaf and blind to something like that, then what else are we missing? What else are we missing? You see, on the worst of days, in the most difficult of time, there is so much beauty. There's so many incredible things going all around us. But do we see? You see, when we enter the gates of faith, it changes our sight. <clears throat> and when we see, we learn to give thanks. 
I was thinking back, you've seen the picture of the kids' table when I was growing up, and when I saw the picture again, I realized that all of us at that kids' table, the truth of the matter is we were so excited to be there. We all had a sense of awe and wonder. Every one of us was just filled with thanksgiving because my family has this wonderful trait that we've kind of passed on through the years, and that is we get fired up about the littlest things in life. We get fired up over really good food. I guess you could tell. I mean, we just get charged up about that. We get fired up over watching a good football game. We even get fired up watching a bad football game. We get fired up over nature. There's just a sense of excitement and passion over the ordinary little things of life because that's where the beauty of life is found. But when we open our eyes, we, we see that. We experience that when we enter the gates of faith. So always we need to pray when we practice our faith, Lord, give us sight to see so that our hearts will overflow with thanksgiving. Second thing, we reorient our souls. Again, I love verse uh, 20, uh, 21 and 22, such profound words, I thank you <clears throat> that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We thank God for Jesus that we have a Savior who has become the cornerstone that we build our lives upon. <clears throat> we need to thank God for a Savior who makes life worth living. <clears throat> In fact, I've shared with you the last few years, I have been using in my personal prayer time, devotional time, the five-finger prayer. But the last few months, I've kind of added something to that. Before I get to the five-finger prayer, I'll start by just praising God. I'll be still and just thank God for Jesus. Thank God for a Savior. Thank God that no matter what we go through, how difficult it is that God is with us, walking with us. And when I get into that spirit of gratitude and praise, then I get to the five fingers, thanking God for those nearest to me and those that lead us and point the way and those that have power in, in life, those that are hurting and struggling, and then the prayers for me personally. But it begins with an attitude of gratitude and a spirit of thanksgiving. And once we start there... You know what we discover is that Jesus is right there beside us. We're never alone. And when we approach life with that beginning place, thanksgiving will guide our journey. And we will know that Jesus is the cornerstone. I love that image. You know in the buildings, the cornerstone, you'll see a picture, is the first stone. It's also known as the foundation stone. The rest of the foundation is laid out on this stone. It determines what the building is going to be like. It really sets the, <clears throat> the, what, the, what the building will represent. And it is such a powerful metaphor because when Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, how he lived, how he taught, guides our lives that determines who we are as individual Christians, as a church. Think about it. When Jesus is our cornerstone, you and I will love the way he taught us to love, and we will build authentic community of respect where people are welcome, and we will draw others constantly into the circle of his love. And when people see us, they'll see Jesus. So what happens when he is our cornerstone, we are still on a mountaintop. 
from what we experienced last Sunday. Those of you that weren't here, <clears throat> we brought in our fall confirmation class and 130 some odd students made a profession of faith for Jesus to be their cornerstone and over 50 were baptized, 33 by immersion. Just this amazing moment for those of you that are not here. Let's watch just a little bit of our immersion baptism. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Jesus is our cornerstone. That's the heart of our ministry, helping connect people to Jesus. And it creates a spirit of, of love and community. Last Wednesday night, Pastor and I, Todd and I were coming <clears throat> on our way to Bible study, and we stopped at our Wednesday night dinner. And it was amazing last Wednesday night. There was so much love and there was this wonderful spirit in the room and our children had a pie eating contest that was just so much fun. And then, then people went off to their classes and Bible studies. It was just this wonderful spirit. And then when we were leaving, we walked outside. You remember last Wednesday night <clears throat> was a cold, crisp night and outside you could smell fire burning. You could smell a bonfire. Our youth were meeting and they were having uh, outdoor fellowship. They were having a drive-in movie night and you could just see the love and the excitement and the joy and the community. That's what happens when Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And we will live with thanksgiving because God has given us a savior. <clears throat> and then finally, when we let this great psalm reorient our lives. It reorients our schedule. <clears throat> to be honest with you, this fall has been kind of a, a tense time for Pastor Todd and I. <clears throat> a lot of pressure, been very, very difficult. And a week, not last week, but the week before, <clears throat> things kind of we turned upfield and we knew it was time for us to kind of let go and relax. But for a couple of days, it was hard to do that. We were wound tight, we were exhausted, we were tired. And so for two days, just was really not, not doing very well. And then all of a sudden, Thursday a week ago, I woke up, the first conscious thought on my mind was verse 24. I woke up and I thought, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I smiled and I felt the weight lift. My friends, if there is any verse we memorize, this should be it because this is the most powerful prayer. Every morning, if we would wake up and pray, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. It would change our outlook toward life. Because think about it. What was one of the great things about Jesus? That was his spirit. He lived life one day at a time. He didn't get too caught up in what's ahead. He said, the time is now. The kingdom of God is among you. Live in the kingdom now. The good we're supposed to do, do it now. Don't put it off. We're not promised tomorrow. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Was the theme of Jesus' life. <clears throat> you remember the haunting, poignant poem Edgar Guest wrote? 
that's just a warning to us when we don't live according to this verse. Remember how Edgar Guest put it? He said he was going to be all that a mortal should be tomorrow. No one would be kinder or braver than he tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary he knew, who'd be glad of a lift and who needed it too, on him he would call and see what he could do tomorrow. Each morning he stacked up the letters he would write tomorrow and thought of the folks he would fill with delight tomorrow. It was too bad indeed he was busy today and hadn't a minute to stop on his way. More time he would have to give to others he would say tomorrow. The greatest of workers this man would have been tomorrow. The world would have known this had he ever seen tomorrow. But the fact is he died and he faded from view and all that he left here when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. Ouch. Hope that's never us. Jesus said the good God lays on our heart to do. Do it today. Don't put it off. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, particularly when it comes to those lessons from the kids' table. What we've been talking about this month, all of that belonging and all of that sharing and all of that being thankful that we learned at the kids' table. We need to practice today and fill our lives every day, every moment, come what may, with gratitude and thanksgiving. I want to speak on behalf of Pastor Todd and really all of our pastors and just take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for your support of us. Thank you for the way that you bless our lives. Thank you for the fact that you allow us to be on this Christian journey with you. Our hearts overflow with gratitude for you. And I just want to urge us all to reorient our lives around this great psalm. Reorient what we see. Reorient our souls and how we experience the faith. Reorient our schedules and live life every day as if it were our last, filled with gratitude. Because this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that all around us is incredible beauty, incredible sights in nature, incredible music, incredible congregation of people who love, love and serve in such a beautiful way. Lord, help us not be like those people on the subway in a hurry, charging through to what is next. Instead, help us be willing to slow down, to stop for a while and to experience your presence all around us. Lord, give us sight. Give us a spirit that is grateful for our Savior who makes life worth living. And most of all, Lord, help us reorient our schedules and not put off tomorrow that which we ought to do. Help us live and love and serve and be your people today. 
Lord, help us be people of thanksgiving, not just on Thursday, not just this week, but every day living by verse 24, that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.